This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by B. Dalton Bookseller. Come on by and pick up the newest entry in Robert Lawrence's YA horror series, Fear Street. It's lowbrow horror trash. B. Dalton, America's favorite bookseller. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a slasher week on Pod Cemetery with 1984's Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It's four of ten and then a crossover and then a remake. <laughs> and 2021's Fear Street Part 1, 1994. So please don't get confused about the dates. <laughs> Before we get started, every once in a while, maybe once or twice a year, we do house cleaning at the very beginning of the episode. Because we would really appreciate it if you guys could help us out a little bit here. Just want to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. A lot of the stuff we talk about gets, like, visual accompaniment on Twitter. We'll share a lot of the stuff that doesn't work on a podcast there, or things we think about after the fact, if we need to make any corrections or anything like that. That's on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. That would be a very big help, especially if you rate and review and the best way you can help us there is with a five-star written review. That is a huge, huge help for us. And we would really appreciate it if you can go out and do that. Yeah, we'd really appreciate some nice ones, guys. So with that said, let's get right into our first movie, 1984's Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, directed by Joseph Zito, written by Barney Cohen from a story by Bruce Hedemi Sakao. Based on characters created by Victor Miller, Ron Kurz, Martin Katrosser, Carol Watson, and Sean S. Cunningham. Starring Kimberly Beck, Eric Anderson, Crispin Glover, Corey Feldman, and Ted White. As now the fifth actor to play Jason in only the fourth movie. <laughs> the only actor to ever repeat a role as Jason in the films is Kane Hodder, the one who's famous for playing Jason. But he didn't play Jason until number seven. That's pretty nice. And then he played him in seven through ten. So he did four movies as Jason. Um, but So none of the good point, ones. <laughs> yeah, right. Up until that point, it was all one-offs. And in one case, a half-off. <laughs> I think it was part two actually had two Jason actors, one for Mask On, one for Mask Off. Mm. Apparently, this was legitimately going to be the last Friday the 13th movie. They were like, we're going to pick it up right where it left off, and then we are actually going to kill him. And he is actually going to die in this movie. As opposed to the other ones where it's a little like, eh, is he dead? <laughs> and if you watch number five, yeah, he actually died in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course... They tried to do kind of what Halloween tried to do. And in both cases, it failed. Yeah, uh-huh. Whereas, let's kill off the main one. We're done with these. Halloween tried to move on to something completely different. 
and then reverted back. Eh, let's bring them back. Mm-hmm. And this one is the same thing where, you know, it still did pretty well based on its very modest budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just kept making another one. And the next one came out the very next year. Tom Savini is also back. And this time to kill the character that he created, because he created the initial design for the young Jason in the lake. That's right. In the first movie. Unfortunately, he did not design the Jason in this movie. He was already designed by the time Tom Savini joined on. Hmm. But he was the one who did all the special effects in this movie, him and his team. And this is also Corey Feldman, his appearance in the franchise. First time we get to meet Tommy Jarvis, who has a big sort of lore implication well, for yeah, the rest of the series. it's odd that he's not in the next one. I don't it think is. we know why. I don't think we know why yet. And this was a big year for Corey Feldman. This is the same summer that Gremlins came out. Mm-hmm. So this is when Corey Feldman's just going to blow up. What was his next big movie? So his first big movie, but, you know, it didn't really mean anything because nobody knew it was him. Is He plays the young copper in Fox and the Hound. I'm a hound dog. That's Corey Feldman? Yeah. How cute. Why, it's, it's you. What do you do that for? We're supposed to do that. When we find what we've been tracking. I'm a fox. My name's Todd. What's your name, kid? Mine's Copper. I'm a hound dog. But the first big movie that he's in is this one. And Gremlins, so all this year. And then he's not in the Goonies until the next year. Goonies is the next year. Mm. Wow, he grew up a lot in a year. And then Stand By Me is the year after that. And then The Lost Boys is the year after that. And then The Burbs is two years after that. So, wow, This was his first, this was like his big break in movies. And he did a lot with it. Yeah. At such a young age. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What is Friday the 13th, the final chapter, actually about, Kelsey? So, as Chris said, in three, the question is, did he really die? And no, he did not. So he's gonna, Jason is gonna come right back to those woods, and there are people staying in the woods. I mean, there's people staying in cabins, so Uh he's gonna terrorize them. Then he's gonna kill for seemingly no reason other than the fact that they're there and they're fucking. Yeah, they're not even camp counselors, but yeah, uh-huh. it's fine. They're not even campers. They're just renting a cabin for the weekend across the street from a family that actually lives out there. Yes. The movie is available with a subscription to Stars and Spectrum on Demand. You can rent it for $4 on most services and buy it for as low as 13 It's also part of collections. I bought the Friday the 13th collection on Apple years and years ago. Because I knew we were going to get to all of them eventually. Mm -hmm. Should people watch Friday the 13th, the final chapter? Well, first of all, of course, if you're already invested in the series, absolutely. Keep on watching. Yeah, absolutely. This is not the time to stop. If you haven't seen any Friday the 13th movies, this is a good one to watch by itself. It's it's almost completely standalone. I mean, they give you the entire history of the films in the first five, ten minutes. And is it really even necessary? It's completely unnecessary, but they give it to you. They could have theoretically just started with him showing up, you know? Yeah. Not giving us all the background. And there's a lot of background. But I think they've done that every single Friday the 13th up until this point, There's been some sort of, like, montage or flashback. History. Archival footage. Because in the first one, there's the one survivor. In the second movie, she's 
killed off in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then in the third movie, it's the day after that. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. By this movie, it's like Sunday and Monday or mm-hmm. something like that, or Monday and Tuesday. Yep. Because it's still going off of the Friday the 13th from the second movie. Yes. These are immediate successors to each other because the third one was Saturday, Sunday. And then this one is like Sunday, Monday, maybe even into Tuesday. Yes. I would also say that it is kind of just more of the same. You're not going to get anything new out of this one. Well, Corey Feldman brings spice to this movie that it desperately needs. A little, yeah. I mean, he he does bring a little bit of life and the the lore-wise, he's Chris, an important character. Crispin, Crispin Glover brings spice to this film Crispin that it needed. Crispin Glover. The twins are fun. The yes. dude who's high all the time is fun. The characters could have been nothing. Yeah. And they didn't choose to do that. Yeah. They chose to make all the characters in in some way unique. Yeah, I'd agree. This is right before River's Edge. Like, that's when I think of Crispin Glover. I know some people think of Back to the Future, of course, right? Of course. Some people think of Charlie's Angels. Some yeah. people think of Willard. Yes. I think of River's Edge. I forget about River's Edge. So fucking bizarre. <laughs> that, that whole movie is so bizarre. It is. It's great. And but that's where my mind goes when I think about Crispin Glover. And that Crispin Glover is here trying to act like a normal person. Yes. And it's fascinating to watch. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, I guess ultimately I would say you should watch it if you're already watching these Jason movies. If you're into the first three, you might as well watch this one, too. But it's not going to, like, change your life or anything like that. No. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1984's Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. Three times before... Sorry to change your mind. You felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Because Friday, April 13th, will be Jason's unlucky day. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, rated R. Now showing at a theater near you. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the final chapter begin? Well, like I said, we get to see all the other movies and all the other people that he killed. I think they sum up his kills at seven kids and three bikers. I don't know if that's all the movies. I mean, that wouldn't include one, would it? Yeah, I guess it wouldn't include one because he didn't kill any of those. Yeah. I really wouldn't. I I wasn't paying too close attention. I was just like, I've seen all these movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's what they sum up his kill count at. We get basically what is an exposition and death montage here. Where we get What's-His-Face from the second movie explaining, oh, the lore of Jason. He's still walking the woods after his mother was beheaded and, like, all of that. And then it's intercut with moments from all three movies. And it's, like, the first two and a half minutes or so, something like that. Yeah. It's just this montage. And then we get the final chapter exploding through the Friday the 13th logo. Yes. It's a lot of fun. And then, of course, we get a hospital scene, which is always stupid in a horror movie. <laughs> well, it's a it's an ambulance scene, isn't it? Or is it a hospital scene? Well, they go, they, they're in an ambulance. They end yeah. up at a hospital. And we get these two, uh, we get a nurse and we get this guy named Axel, who's another nurse. 
Oh, right at the morgue. Yeah, and Axel, dude. Mm-hmm. Axel is the coroner. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. But so everybody's really nervous around Jason and like his hand falls and stuff. So the indication is that he is definitely not dead. Do you remember what they did to him at the end of the last one? Yeah, they they put a machete in his head. Oh, that's all. Okay. Yeah, they just lodged it in his skull. Okay, so they didn't cut his head off no. or anything. Mm-mm. Which I think is probably the only way to really kill Jason at this well, point. Well, I mean, that's, like we said earlier, he does die in this movie. He is killed in this movie. It's after this where we're going to get into that supernatural stuff. <laughs> but so Axel and this girl, like, have this playful banter where they go back and forth, but, like, she acts like she's not interested. Yeah. But then she is, but then she isn't, and, like, I don't really understand what's supposed to be going on there. It just feels like filler, you know? Yeah. Just, I well, guess. We needed some, a little bit of sexy time. Yeah. We needed comedy. Like the Axel who is a total pervert and gross human being. But so they do end up making out for a little bit before she says goodnight. And they do it right next to a dead body. Jason. It's him, yeah. And I'm just like, who wants to make out next to a dead body? <laughs> I guess when you're around dead bodies all day as part of your work, it it doesn't bother you? I guess. Jason comes back to life and kills Axel, as we all knew he would. Then we get Feldman, who is apparently way into making his own masks. Which is a thing they do practically nothing with. (laughs) Like, you would think that would contribute to what happens at the end, and it absolutely doesn't. It does not. Well... He does put on makeup and stuff, but we don't, they took that scene out. Yeah. But yeah, so he is into like making monster masks and And stuff. And he's an incredible, these are basically just Tom Savini creations that this little kid is supposed to have made. Yes. With what resources? Who knows? (laughs) His mom has a ton of money for all this material. Yeah. But we find out from his mom that six kids have rented the house next door. Yeah. I assume they're supposed to be, like, college-aged. Yeah, I would think so. And so I would guess that her daughter is maybe a senior in high school? Maybe. I mean, she seemed kind of older. Right, but, But she's still living with her mom and taking care of her older brother. And, yeah, she's probably... Like, she's more mature, but I think she must be younger, right? Maybe she's, like, 19. It's hard to tell because all of these kids are in their 20s. Oh, Every God, single yeah. one of these actors is in their 20s. Yes. But so they, the kids who are going to stay in this place, which includes Crispin Glover, they end up getting lost, and they end up getting lost right next to the tombstone of Pamela Voorhees. The first time she's given her first name in the yes. entire franchise. Mm-hmm. Before this, she was just Mrs. Voorhees. Mm-hmm. So because they get lost, we're seeing them driving, and as they figure out their way, they end up seeing a person, a hitchhiker. And this poor girl is murdered for no good reason. Yeah. They leave her there because she's large and they Uh don't want her to take up space in the car. It's so terrible. And then she ends up getting killed. She eats a banana and then we get the squeezing of the banana as she's choked out or her throat is sliced. I I think she's choked out, right? I Something like that. Don't. Yeah. I think the machete goes through her Mm -hmm. her neck or something, but... It's just really sad. (laughs) It is really sad. 
We get to meet the kids, and we get to meet Sarah and Sam, who are the two girls of the group. They're, like, best friends, but Sarah is, like, the conservative one, and Sam is the crazy one, who Sarah says, don't you have sex with all the guys? And she's like, I've only had sex with my boyfriend. The guys just lie. And she doesn't uh seem, like, upset about it. uh uh-uh. Just... Like, this should be information you should have. Mm-hmm. Know that guys lie about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is really nervous because she finds out that she's going to be s- sleeping in the same room as this random guy. I don't think I even learned his name. I think that's Doug. Is it Doug? I do, it's so okay. So we're not going to be good on most of the names of these kids because well, Sarah's guy is so unimportant. He's just the guy she's going to have sex with later. Like, and then she's okay to be killed. Right, but he is like. He's the quiet, dreamy one. He's a nice guy. He has a stupid haircut. He was in this movie, not movie, but TV show, The Powers of Matthew Starr, which ended just before this movie and ended in 1983. Kelsey and I just happened to be just doing something and having something on in the background. And we had on these like compilations (laughs) of TV show intros. And one of them just happened to be for the powers of Matthew Starr. Louis Gossett Jr. narrates this story of Matthew Starr, who's like a prince whose family is killed and he needs to to leave a cosmic prince in space. And then he comes to Earth to be raised by Louis Gossett Jr. as his bodyguard. And then he starts getting magical powers on Earth. And it's like the day-to-day concerns of Matthew Starr. Apparently that was a big show. Ba- I had never even heard of it until we saw that intro. And then we just happened to watch this and it's the same guy. It's the weirdest thing. And then we watched uh, Crystal Lake Memories, which we do after every time we watch one of these installments. And th- even they mention it about, oh, he was the guy from the powers of Matthew Starr. <laughs> weirdest thing. But yes, he contributes practically nothing. He says practically nothing. And, you know, their names aren't important. (laughs) (laughs) It is Doug, by the way. That is Doug. But yeah, so she's going to be, Sarah's going to be in the same room as Doug, but they will have bunk beds. Yeah. Don't worry, they're bunk beds. Corey Feldman, remember, they're right across, they're next next door to each other. So Corey Feldman can see into the room and sees... Sam getting undressed Mm -hmm. and about to have sex with her boyfriend and he's very excited but his mom comes in so he pretends to be asleep and she shuts the shade. Uh We get to see the Doublemint twins. Which is what they're continued to be called. This is somebody who was trying out for a different role and then when they, or for this one role or something like that and then they found out she had a twin and they're like, you're hired. Yeah. So these twins show up and they immediately, you know, because we've got pretty much two couples here. We've got Sam and her boyfriend. We've got Sarah and Doug, and Doug. who are not together, but who are definitely supposed to be being put together. Uh-huh. And then we got the two guys. We've got the stoner and we've got Crispin Glover. So the idea is that the twins are supposed to get with the stoner and Crispin Glover. But the twist is, is that nobody wants to be with the stoner. Yeah. Nobody is interested in the stoner. But so these twins show up. Ted is his name. Remember, he has, do you want to kiss the teddy bear? Yes, that's right. And they all decide to go skinny dipping, except for Sarah. Sarah doesn't want to go yeah, skipping, uh-huh. skinny dipping because she's the conservative one. But also I want to point out that as they're all getting into the water, the stoner sees like a guy, one of the guys, I think it might be Doug, get on like a rope swing and jump in. And he is so excited yeah. about this guy <laughs> getting into the water. He's like, oh, 
We're like, supposed it's to the believe that they're thing having he's ever fun. Seen. I get it. They're all so excited. That's why when the twins recommend that skinny dipping, or they're the first to take off their tops or something, yes. then everyone gets. That's when everyone gets undressed. Yes, we see a lot of boobs and ass, mm-hmm. dude ass and lady boobs. Yes, but so Feldman runs down to the river and sees this. Oh yeah, he's very excited. But so Trish's sister's like, oh, my God, and covers up his eyes. And all the the teens invite her to the party. But she never comes to their house. No, she never does. Well, until it's not an issue anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So to get Sarah to get into the water, Sam pretends to drown herself. Uh Uh-huh. And Sarah freaks the fuck out and looks over the side at her and Sam ends up pulling her into the mm-hmm. water. And she gets all pissed. Meanwhile, Feldman and Trish are walking away and they run into this hiker guy who, if this wasn't a Jason movie, I'd be like, that guy's the killer. Yes. Because <laughs> he comes out of fucking nowhere. The dog barks like at him like he is creepy. Yeah, And yet we're Rob. supposed to like him. Played by Eric Anderson. But so Rob is there, as he mentions later, because his sister died. Well, that was back in two. Which was like two Only days two ago. two days ago. But for yeah. the audience, it's been years. Uh-huh. But yeah, two days ago that happened. Now, guys, think back to the remake of the original. Yep. What did our boy say he was doing? What did Jared we, Padalecki yeah, uh-huh. is there searching for his dead sister who dies in the first in the intro. Yeah, in, yeah, uh-huh. in the intro. That was fun. I didn't know that when we saw that. I'd yeah. forgotten all about that. Remember, we thought that the Friday the 13th remake wasn't nearly as bad as we thought it was going to be. No. It wasn't great. No. But it was pretty all right. It was decent. Especially for a remake when all the other remakes tend to suck. Yeah, when all the other remakes are god-awful, this one was not that bad. Mm -hmm. Also, in this time, Jason is put into the cooler, and I didn't see it when we were watching the movie, but they played it back in Crystal Lake Memories, where one of the producers or the director or somebody mentions that you can see him breathe when he's put into the cooler. You can see him exhale. Oh. So you know he's actually still alive, and then it's not shut all the way. Mm. And that's how he's able to get out, and he's going to kill both the coroner and the nurse. Well, there you go. But so Feldman loves Rob immediately and shows him his masks. I wrote down at this point, the most unbelievable part of the movie is that Tommy makes those masks. (laughs) I know, like the eyes full on rotate (laughs) and stuff. It's pretty impressive for his age. Very, very impressive. Meanwhile, the teens are just getting started with their party. Yep. And boy, do we get a party scene. We get some intense dance moves from Crispin Glover. Which were apparently based on the way he actually dances in clubs. That's awesome. That's like just his thing. That's what he does. Also, apparently, it was originally recorded to Back in Black. I would like to rewatch it with the music. Yeah, to see how that plays out. Because mm-hmm. it definitely did not match the music that they were playing in the film. That song they play is Love is a Lie by Lion. Just cause you play it cool Don't think you got this fool tonight All right Also, the twins are wearing the best outfits. The best and the worst. They're sort of semi-matching. Like, they don't match exactly. Like, the color's different. 
but they use the same colors and the patterns are the same. You know, one is wearing blue pants and the other's wearing pink pants and their tops are striped pink, blue and white. Now, see, guys, like that. this is one of those moments where you see it and you're like, Jesus, the fashion. Uh huh. But then you hear from the actors who, who the were like, actors no, were like, they were hideous. It was Aren't a we hideous supposed to be the sexy costume. Ones? Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be the hot chicks and we're wearing these god awful outfits. It's uh-huh. like. Okay, even the teens thought it was ugly. So what the fuck was the costume person Uh thinking? That's slightly the weirdest thing about our roles, which were supposed to be these sexy girls who are sort of coming, you know, from to join in with this other group of people and all the boys are madly attracted to us and we're dressed in these ghastly clothes. Well, what about our hair as well? Our hair put up in sort of little sort of librarian buns. I mean, and the pants seemed to be too big. Everything was sort of just big and bulky and very unsexy. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bunk either. <laughs> she needs to get fired. Pretty bad. Or he. Yeah, that was sexist of you. But yeah, Ted tries to hit on both of the twins and gets turned down by both of them pretty epically. Yeah, at some point in the night, he hits on the first one that he sort of pairs up with. That's going to be the one she's going to cause off. some problems. Yes. Uh huh. And then the other one that he fails with, the second one later on in the night, is the one that's going to get with Crispin Glover. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Well, it's or the other funny because... They're twins, who can tell? <laughs> it's funny because at one point, Crispin Glover and the stoner will be hanging out, and Crispin will say to him, you got the hot one. Hey, how are you doing with you? Nowhere, huh? Check. Gotta warm her up. Watch me. Do what I do. And Jimbo, don't be such a... Buck. I told you, I told you that I didn't like that. Besides, you've got the hot one of the two of them. Yeah, that's so weird. Now, but if you think about it, consider this. So Crispin was with one chick. He, the stoner, was with the other chick. The other chick is going to go cause some problems. Yeah. Then Crispin is going to be her third backup. So the other twin is the one who's going to leave. Yes, because she's the more... So it does make sense that he called the other one hot. Yeah, so okay. he got with, he got with the one he thought was hot. Yes. Yeah, it's the it, and they're twins, but it's just one's a little bit more conservative. She doesn't have the the sexy do and all that that the other one has. Although they're both wearing buns, <laughs> which is the, like what were they thinking? I don't know. Anyway, all the love triangle plot is kind of stupid, but it's how we get the sex and everything. Just a really quick note about Rob and Trish. Rob kisses her on the cheek because, you know, they're the innocent ones. They're the sweet, innocent couple. And she's very sad because her parents are divorced and she hopes they'll get back together, even though that doesn't matter to the plot whatsoever. I guess it's just to explain why the dad isn't around. So, as we've been saying, the twin who Teddy goes after is put off by Teddy. So she ends up going after the next, the, the hottest guy, in her opinion, who has a girlfriend. The only yeah, one who Sam's is legitimately boyfriend. in a relationship uh-huh. with Sam. And he is a total asshole. He really is. He doesn't care about the fact that he is slow dancing with this other girl in front of his girlfriend. Doesn't care at all. No. Sam tries to lure him outside. But he stays and dances, and it's very frustrating. Yeah. He doesn't feel guilty about it until the girl tries to kiss him. Yeah, and then he's like, 
I should probably go check on my girlfriend. Yeah, I can't go through with this. But so Sam goes off by herself. To skinny dip alone. Because she thinks oh, he's that gonna he's come. gonna yes, come and She's trying her. to entice him to be like, well, you don't want to do that because I'm sexier. And it's not like, I don't know. If I was in that position, I would probably be like, I'm not going to try to win you back. It's not good. You're being a dickhead. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. But so it ends up being that she's out on a raft. And gets killed that way. A lot of people in this movie will get killed by him sticking something through something else to get to that person. uh In this case, yeah, it's up through the bottom of the raft and out her back. Apparently, the actress got hypothermia filming that. Cool. Ted White had to basically threaten the director. This group was actually turning blue. And uh, I went to Joe Zito and told him, I said, Joe... We got to get her out of there before she freezes up completely. And he said, why don't you just do Jason and I'll do the direct. So that's when I got a little upset with him. And I said, well, either get her out or I'll walk one or the other. So they pulled her out. Joe, of course, was not trying to be mean. Uh, He was trying to get a film made. Uh, Whether he was uh, going a little too far with somebody else's feelings, uh, I would say yes. And it turns out that I had gotten hypothermia. And I was quite sick for several days after that. Ted White, who does not cotton to certain things. <laughs> he was like, I don't think he meant her any harm. He was just overzealous. <laughs> but Corey Feldman, that little kid was a fucker. <laughs> <laughs> he hated Corey Feldman, apparently, and freely admits it to this day. <laughs> I think everybody was very sweet to Corey Feldman. I remember getting along with everybody on that set. The only person that I didn't get along with or was afraid of was Ted White. Mean little devil. I couldn't stand him. I wanted to kill him desperately. There were times when Corey got close to me that it took all my reserve to not just reach out and grab him and give him a good spanking. Ted was very respectful when it came to the fact that I was a kid and he knew to keep his boundaries. But at the same time, I don't think that he was really very aware of how to deal with children. But, oh, we should also mention that the twin who initially was supposed to be with Crispin. Remember, Crispin says, you got the hot one. She walks in on that conversation. Yes. And she sees Teddy doing a stupid penis joke where Uh he has his hand out of his pants yeah so it's no wonder that she's just like fuck this fuck all of this i'm going yes and so she gets on her bike to go well not till later that happens later uh she sticks around a little bit longer but sam's boyfriend whose name is Paul. paul is gonna come looking for her yes which is going to get him killed as well but We should mention, this was weird. This was really, really weird. When Sam goes off to the water, Sarah tries to go after her. Now, Doug's going to stop her, and his excuse is such bullshit, it's none of our business? Yeah. uh That's my best friend. Yeah. Like, the fuck do you mean it's none of our business? Uh Like, it was, it's very strange. It's strangely written. It's strangely directed. It's an odd moment. But it's like, I guess the only reason that they could think of why she wouldn't be out there with him, with her. But it's very strange. 
And I, and I like, as a girl, if some dude who's been trying to get in my pants all weekend is like, it's none of your business, I'd be like, excuse me? I don't even fucking know you, and yeah. you're trying to tell me not to go deal with my girlfriend here? Probably because you're just going to try to get in my pants? I'd be mad about that. Yeah. But it works on her, and she ends up sleeping mm-hmm. with him, which is then why it's okay that she dies. <laughs> it's so... It's weird and frustrating. Uh-huh. But so because Paul feels guilty and goes out after his girlfriend, that makes the tw- that leaves the twin to be like, well, now what do I do? So she goes after Crispin Glover, the one who said that she was the hot one. So now she's with Crispin, and Crispin is like, well, I kind of feel like a rat that you just kind of go from guy to guy. Uh-huh. Like, that guy said no to you, now you want me. That makes me feel like a rat. And she's like... How about we talk about this upstairs? And he's like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, he needs to prove that he's not a dead fuck. Oh, yes. Oh, we didn't talk about that. There's this whole thing. Ted brings up this idea that Crispin Glover is a quote unquote dead fuck. And that's why his girlfriend broke up with him. But didn't he break up with his girlfriend? And that's what Teddy is mad at him about? I don't I think he broke up with her because she just never was around. Like, she'd basically broken she up with him. She cheated on him or act. Who cares? Doesn't matter. But the point is, is that he's not in a relationship thing, and he's feeling things. Like, it comes out of nowhere and then it just sticks around. Yes. And then he will ask the twin, was I a dead fuck? To which she says, I thought you were incredible. Yeah. Which, good for you, I guess. Uh-huh. Well, could be true or could not be true. But right. she was still into him, it, it appeared. So yeah. it must have been something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she's the type that would... She didn't know him, so she's not cuddling because she's like, oh, you know. She's not cuddling because I love you. That was a really bad lay, but <laughs> I love you. Yeah. It was, you know, all she had to go on was how he performed in <laughs> But so Paul finds his dead girlfriend and then gets killed in the dick. Yes. He gets like a the machete spear through or something. The, yeah. And then the lifted groin. up. Yeah, right yeah. through the groin. So Paul is dead. Sam is dead. And then we have the coroner and the nurse. Those are the four deaths that we have at this point. Meanwhile, Teddy has discovered this old can of porn. Yeah. On on reel to reel, so they're gonna watch like turn of the century topless women dancing around on film, <laughs> which I guess turns Sarah on because that's what's gonna lead to her being like, I don't want to sleep alone tonight. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to. I like. I mean, you know, they're teens, I guess. So yeah, what so does then- it for them? They go upstairs, so now Ted is just left on his own, smoking weed and watching ancient porn. Yes. Meanwhile, oh, the other twin has left, by the way, out of pure boredom. She goes to leave, and she goes to get her bike, and we get this awesome shot, because it's raining at this point. She has a raincoat on somehow, wherever that came from, I don't know. I think we see her putting it on. But in like the doorway. she didn't have it on oh, her in the beginning. Because they didn't they just ran into these people a on a trail, you know? So anyway, she's wearing that and then it pans back to the house, and then we get a lightning flash as we see Jason like stab her through the gut. And we see that in silhouette, and it's actually kind of a great shot. I was very, very surprised that such a clever thing happened 
in a Jason movie. They did a really good job of that. And the camera stays on the house as it gets closer and closer to where we saw that silhouette. And then her dead body is thrown against the side of the house. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, over at the Feldman place. The Jarvis residence. The Jarvis residence. They cannot find their dog, Gordon. So they go out looking for him. And Trish ends up finding Rob's tent. And she's like looking inside of it. And a machete goes through it. And you're like, oh shit. And it's Rob. But it's Rob. Why did Rob do that to his own tent? <laughs> well, he he was already out looking for who he thought was Jason. So he thought maybe Jason was in his camp. Okay. <laughs> That's why he got out of his tent in the first place. It's to go looking for him. Then he comes back to his tent and somebody's in it. So he assumes it's Jason. Yes. But it's not. It's Trish. Yes. So now they're they're back together. Meanwhile, Crispin Glover, who was told by the twin to stay right there. Oh, she yeah. She wants to have more sex. So she'll, I'll be right back. Stay right here. He goes downstairs to brag to Ted and get like tea or something. What kind of? <laughs> do that no to get wine wine yeah that's specifically what looking for a corkscrew because corkscrew yes. is how he's going to get killed which they thought was really clever well, apparently it's, it's going to be involved in his death <laughs> but what kind of a dude would be like would get up and walk away from a girl who's like stay right there we're gonna i'm gonna come right back and have more sex right it's weird but he does he Gives her panties to ted to brag about it yeah my dead fuck now or whatever and oh my god God, I love Crispin Glover. I know he's weird. I understand he's weird, and I'm sure he crosses the line and is a big creepo a lot of the time. I don't know anything about that. But the way he performs in a sort of like, I don't give a fuck what you're looking for way. This is what I'm talking about. Apparently, he was very difficult to deal with in Back to the Future. Because <sighs> he would just do whatever he wanted to do and behave however he wanted to behave, and he just would not take direction. But this is just, they just let Crispin Glover be Crispin Glover in this movie, and he's like, Ted, where's the corkscrew, Ted? And it's just, oh my God, it's just so perfect. I love it so much. And then corkscrew through the hand. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ted, where's, where's that, uh, that corkscrew, that fancy corkscrew for the wine bottle? Ted. And then meat cleaver through the face. Yes. And then somehow before anybody figures anything out, he's back upstairs and throws the twin off of the roof. Onto the car. And, it's and all the really, windows blow out. It's a ridiculous shot. Because but it's cool. He has his arms up and he throws her. And he keeps his arms up the whole time. <laughs> well, it's really weird. <laughs> but she lands on the hood of the car and all the windows shatter. And it's like a really cool shot. Another really cool shot. They were doing cool things in this movie. So she's dying. Nobody can hear any of this stuff anyway because it's thunder and lightning and everything. You know, does he kill Ted next? He's going to work his way through literally everybody here. Yeah, he's he kills Ted. He destroys the tape first, which confuses Ted. Uh -huh. And then he kills him. And then him Ted gets it from behind in the, the screen. back of the screen. Again, back of the head, through, through the, screen, the screen. And he drops down and then blood is on the screen behind him, which is a, another cool effect. Meanwhile, upstairs, Sarah and Doug are having sex in the shower. In the shower. And when That's she gets out. That's a little explicit, out, too. <laughs> yeah. She's like raising her leg up. And yes. Like, Jesus. <laughs> And when she gets out of the shower, he goes, I think I'm in heaven. And she goes, 
I think I'm in love. But it doesn't fucking matter as they're both about to die. They're both going to die. He gets his head smashed against the tile and his face caved in. And she finds him hanging over the edge. She's killed with an axe. She's wearing a towel this whole time. And this is the world's most effective body towel I've ever seen. (laughs) She doesn't last that long, but she's running around with this towel on. No problems. And yeah, then she gets to a door and then an axe comes through the door and buries in her chest. So now she's dead too. Mm-hmm. So all the kids are every single one of the vacationing kids are dead now. And it's just the Jarvis family, the three of them and Rob mm-hmm. left. And that is it. Yes. At some point here, I wrote Gordon just nopes it right through the window where he's like home or something at this point, and then he sees Jason, and then he just runs out and crashes through a window. Yeah, I was like, so Gordon just jumped out of the window from fear? What yes, happened? I guess, but we never see Gordon again, so we can assume he lived? I don't know. It was very strange. But the point is, is that this movie fucking hates windows. Gordon <laughs> jumps through the windows. The twin falls on the car, shattering all the windows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob is going to get tossed through a window. Trish is going to shatter a window with a chair to get away. Jason's going to try to grab it. Tommy through a window. And then Trish also Gordon yeets it out the window one time where she just head first straight through a window. <laughs> like this movie hates windows. It's sort of like it's a Jason tradition of, you know, him smashing through windows or throwing things through windows. Mm-hmm. But just like amped up in this one. It just happens all. Over and over again, windows breaking. True. I'd also like to point out that this is the point where I was dressed up as Trish when she yes, is- Yes, what Trish is wearing. Running around in a blue shirt and a white belt. Some 10 years ago, Kelsey and I dressed up as Jason and Trish mm-hmm. for Halloween. Yeah. Yes. And it was a lot of fun. I did my hair all gross and made my makeup all running down my face. It was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. I forget exactly why, but Feldman has become aware of the Jason mythos. I well, it's, I think it's because Rob tells him about it. That would make sense. So we get a small like scene of him doing his research yeah, uh-huh. and learning all about Jason, and that's very important for later. Yes, he needs to know <laughs> who Jason is and what his story is. <laughs> so Rob... It comes to rescue the Jarvis kids. Uh-huh. But he doesn't get to because Jason is going to kill him in the basement. And while he does, the famous yells oh, of, yes. he's killing me, he's killing, he's me. killing, he's killing me. me. Which apparently, well, they didn't say it in the movie. In, in Crystal Lake Memories, they didn't mention this. It is apparently based on something. Is that true? I mean, I've heard this story before. So I I can't really comment on its veracity, but it's not something I'm hearing of for just the first time now. There's the story of this woman who was murdered in an alleyway or something like that. Oh, I thought it was a man. Maybe it was a man, but I thought it was a woman. Screaming out, he's killing me, he's killing me, help me, help me, he's killing me. And nobody responding to it. And how terrifying the thought of that is. Of somebody knowing that they're being murdered, shouting out for help, not just in a panic, but, like, you need to come because I am being murdered right now. Something about that is really terrifying. We did get that from 
Crystal Lake memories. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did mention that, that there's something terrifying about shouting that out. Oh, but he didn't say that he had read about it no. or that it had happened. Right. No, he didn't say that in the documentary. Okay. But it's something that's now seen as, like, humorous. That he's crying out, he's killing me, he's killing me. Like, it sounds like a silly thing that nobody would actually say when they're getting murdered. But he's warning Trish, run, mm-hmm. he's killing me, you need to run. Yes, exactly. Trish is going to be looking through the guest house, right? The house where they're all rented or whatever, and then stumbling across bodies. Yeah, they go over there because their phone is dead. Yeah. Oh, and the mom gets a scream off camera. Like she screams in a direction off camera because she sees something and then it cuts away. We don't find out that she's dead till like the end of the movie. (laughs) She's dead. And yes, this is where she stumbles upon all the bodies. She goes to the front door and sees the twin lying there on the porch in front of the door and is like, fuck it. No, I'm not going that way. Turns to go out a side door, finds one of the bodies of the dudes hanging there and then goes, oh shit, then I need to go out a window. You can go back to the front door and just step over the body. It's not blocking your way. Yeah, exactly. But she takes a chair and she needs to smash a window. Quick question. Uh Uh-huh. Did Jason always put people in weird positions after he killed them? Or is that a new thing? Because that felt new to me. It it feels very Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do that? I don't know. I can't think of I any. I feel like he didn't, and I feel like it came out of fucking nowhere. Well, maybe. But in also, three? I love, I love that in the small amount of time that Jason had, uh-huh. that he takes time out of. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> thinking about these those moments up in are these fun. Ridiculous pl- positions. Like, maybe he's just whistling, really enjoying his work. You know, right? But he would need to do it fucking quickly. At yeah. least with Michael Myers, he had lots of time uh-huh. to do it. But J- yeah. <laughs> It's the nonsense parts of, like, the sort of uh, meta storytelling where it's, you got to think about the stuff that's happening not on screen. Mm-hmm. Yes, but so, yeah, he throws a body through the window to distract. That's, that's Doug. <laughs> to distract Or not Trish. Doug, that's Rob, I think. And then he grabs Corey Feldman through the other window. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> He starts to go after Trish with something, but he misses her every fucking time. Yes. And then he has to jump through another window, as Chris said. She jumps through the window. She yeah, jumps she through just the window. Does, pulls a Gordon and just yeets out the window. Feels the presence of Jason before he, she can even see him and ends up slicing him with his own machete. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to stop him. It hurts his hand, but he doesn't seem to care at all. Yeah, like slices his hand down the middle. Meanwhile, what is Feldman doing? I wrote, I love that he just takes the time <laughs> and has such certainty that this is going to work that the time is worth it <laughs> to shave his head. And it takes a while. Don't you have masks? You have a room full of masks. You have no mask that might look like an unmasked Jason. Apparently not. Why are the masks in the movie at all? I don't know. But he shaves his head really shittily. (laughs) That was apparently a Tom Savini skull cap that was put on his head. They didn't actually shave his head. It looks pretty good, to be honest. It does. Yeah. Could you imagine, though, if he just spent all that time 
shaving his head, came running down the stairs to save his sister, as he does, and then it just doesn't work. Right, I know, yeah. I like it as a sort of character-building conceit, but it is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, look, we all know that Jason gets confused. Yes, I mean, we saw it. In part two. Yes. Where she dresses up as his grandma. Remember, this or as was, his mom, that was rather. only two days ago yeah. at this point. <laughs> and he was confused by that and then had saw his mom's head. <laughs> so, Wait a minute. I'm Newton bitter. And right now he's being confused. Is this me? Yeah. Am is, I talking is to it, myself? Is it me? <laughs> Wait a minute. He just needs to remember that he's some poor kid. <laughs> and if he's that fucking stupid... <laughs> Why did you need to shave your head at all? Like, if you didn't shave his head, would he be like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> yes. He, he needed to look like him. He also does his makeup, which we don't also, get Also, he to has see. kind of like a shadow around his eye, a real smoky eye going a on. smoky eye. And that's like it. That's all he does. But it's enough to distract Jason. And then he gets a machete through his the side of his head. So it's not lodged at a diagonal. It actually goes through the side of his head and like into his eye. And then he drops down face first. The machete lands. And then he like slides down the machete as his face is still twitching. This was a Savini puppet that, yes, it's obvious it's a puppet. But it's very impressive <laughs> how it moves and slides down the machete and everything. It's actually really fucking cool. I liked that a lot. But so the machete gets the mask off at one point. Yes. And we finally get to see his face. That's what she does. She gets an opportunity to hit him with the machete again. And it slashes because off Because Tommy is distracting him. And that's all she manages to accomplish. And then he comes after her. And then Tommy grabs the machete and puts it inside of his head. And that's when all this happens. Right. But I thought his face looked great. Yeah, uh-huh. I thought that was fantastic. So he always has kind of a, a around the head sort of like a balaclava on that looks like Jason, the actor Tom White does. And then when they take the mask off, he actually went through all the hours of makeup to get that on. But yeah, it looks really impressive. It's a cool looking Jason. They go to hug, but Tommy sees his hand twitch and then he just snaps and takes the machete and just starts hacking away at what were sandbags sitting in front of him. And apparently, Corey Feldman had the flu that day on set or something. And you can tell when and you was know really sick. the way he's lo- the way exhausted. he looks, the way he sounds. But you he's can tell. still going all out. Oh, absolutely! And it kind of makes it more real. I hate to promote sort of like yes, actor don't abuse. Hurt your actors, yes. they are actors. Just like the girl with hypothermia on the lake earlier. Like, don't do that shit to make your movies. But it does kind of, it does look good. (laughs) (laughs) So he flips out and then we cut to the hospital where. Well, she's yelling, Tommy. Oh, yeah. Tommy. And he's yelling, die. 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 die, die." Yeah. Die. thing is i do yeah. the same thing well that's what <laughs> that's what dr robert goulet says ah! coming up here ah! it's just so just with the mustache and the color on the side like he just he's he doesn't look like robert goulet but he's like what if robert goulet was a doctor you know <laughs> and he gives us a whole psychology lesson how it's perfectly normal that he lost his shit 
on the guy that killed everyone and almost killed him and his sister. Yeah. He'll be fine. It's perfectly normal. Don't worry about it. And then he comes in. She's fine. He's fine. He gives her another big hug. And then he looks at the camera and his eyes open. And you're thinking, oh, shit, Corey Feldman's going to be the next Jason. No. Is this like in Halloween? No. Where she's going to flip out and, you know. I mean, his character will. Yeah. He doesn't really come back. I think we see him later on. No, I thought it was the same character. It's just not Corey Feldman. No, we see him older and it's a different actor. But I think we see him in like archive footage in future movies as this Tommy Jarvis. And I don't think the actor came back. I'm saying they show footage from this movie in a later film. I think that's all we get. I'm so mad. Something like that. Yeah, it's a real big bummer. He is responsible for bringing him back to life. And I don't think it's the next one. No, in the next one, he's the killer. The character, Tommy Jarvis. No, he's not. It's just some rando in the next one. Is it? Yeah. Tommy Jarvis lives. That guy dies. Tommy Jarvis lives and then brings him back to life by digging him up and then stabbing a pole through his heart. And then lightning strikes the pole and brings him back to life. That's like in six or seven or something. Yeah, it's the weird thing where one of these, more than one of the Friday the 13 movies has somebody other than Jason is the killer. It's his mom in the first one. And I think in the next one, it's some other rando who's wearing a different mask with the blue triangle now. Mm. You know how this one has the red triangles? That Mm -hmm. one has blue triangles on the mask. (laughs) It's a different mask. I see. So indicating it's a different killer mm-hmm. sorry for the spoilers <laughs> for friday the 13th part five yep so anyway yeah that's friday the 13th the final chapter yeah and pretty sure any real fan of the franchise would tell you this is where the franchise ends it's where it starts to go off the rails i mean it's not until later that we get the whole he has like a demon worm inside of him and then everybody is jason <sighs> Oh, my God. Is that nine? I don't remember. Is that eight? It's not Manhattan, is it? Maybe They're it's seven. so bad. I don't remember. Yeah, they, they really go weird after this one. It devolves completely. What were we just talking about where the second movie... And I get it. You need to do new fun things every time. But it just goes completely in the wrong direction. Just like Halloween. Oh, it was I Know What You Did Last Summer with just the third movie. They go supernatural. This one takes several movies before it gets supernatural. I mean, he's a guy who can't be killed. That's kind of supernatural in itself. Yeah, but they don't... He doesn't have superpowers or whatever. He's not the ghost of vengeance or anything like that until later. (laughs) When there's a worm that travels from person to person. Oh, my God. It's going to get really weird after this. (laughs) So what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Before you say, the original had a 63 Part two had a 34, part three had an 11. Now, our ratings were 77.75 for the first one, 69.65 for the second one, and 70.69 for the third one. So we went down and then up a little bit for the third one. Well, based on what the other ones had, I'm going to guess it's pretty damn fucking low. Maybe like a 24. A 20. So it does actually go up from three. Mm-hmm. As lumberingly single-minded as its homicidal star, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, adds another rote entry to an increasingly labored franchise. 20 is underrated, certainly. Way underrated. Certainly. 
This is not as bad as it gets, people. Trust us. That would be a no. So what do you think it should have? Let me give it a 72. So more than two or three? Yeah. This one, I mean, Corey Feldman, it's all fun. I, I think it's... Yeah, I was going to give this one probably a 70, I think. It's decent. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not bad. And it's, like I said, it's got some fun shit in it. It's still worth watching. Yeah, it has some cool stuff happening in it. All of the people flying through windows. And Crispin Glover dancing. Yeah. The the lightning strike silhouette kill. Every time Corey Feldman is on screen. <laughs> He's great. He's so funny. There's there's some there's some good stuff in this one. They are not wrong, though. Like it is getting kind of rote. There's nothing really like new happening here. Yeah. It's just, well, we gotta get through these kids now. And that's kind of how it's starting to feel. I get that. I understand. It was starting to get a little stale, and that's why they did what they did, but But this had a little bit of life in it, which yes, felt like it oh, had I can life do this in again. It. Yeah. There there's just there's so many avenues they could have taken within the same realm yeah. of the first four. There but they just didn't they didn't think to, they didn't want to. They were just like, fuck it, let's just do something completely different. Yep. I don't think it's gonna get any higher than this for the rest of the franchise. I could be wrong. Oh, I don't think so. But I think it's going to go this is downhill the from here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, that is our classic film, 1984's Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Moving on to our modern film, 2021's Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Now, we are going to do all three movies in the Fear Street trilogy because they are sort of a self-contained story. Even though there's a lot of threads that are still left open for future films, it is more like a miniseries than just a trilogy. Like, these are very closely related films that you could, theoretically, watch on their own. So it's really unique in that way. We are going to be doing the whole trilogy, and relatively soon, but it's not going to be next week. If you want to watch along with us, that's fine. We both think that it's worth watching consecutively. Yes, I think that's the best way to watch it. Yeah. Is right away. So feel free to watch all three of them. We'll watch the second one in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We've already seen all three of them, so we are coming in with that context. But yes. The movie is directed by Lee Janiak, written by Lee Janiak and Phil Grazia Day. From a story by Kyle Killen, Phil Grazia Day, and Lee Janiak. Based on the Fear Street books by R.L. Stein, starring Kiana Madeira. Olivia Scott Welch, and Benjamin Flores Jr. What is Fear Street Part 1, 1994, about? It's hard to explain without talking about the whole thing. But basically, a group of teenagers are being attacked by a murderer who... Several murderers. Yeah. It's hard to succinctly explain. Who appear to be sent by a witch's curse. Yes. That's probably the best non-spoilery <laughs> description you can get going into the first movie. Just several murderers coming after these teenagers in the 90s. Yeah. And you will know the 90s by the Trail of the Dead songs. <laughs> these, Jesus, this soundtrack is just like hit you over the head. With its, like, they'll play 10 seconds of a song, immediately transition into 10 seconds of another song. True, but that stuff doesn't bother me. I know it bothers people. The soundtrack is fantastic. 
It's a really good soundtrack. Like, this is... I was 11 when this movie takes place, and... I like jukebox movies. I liked it when they did it in Suicide Squad. The first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People and hated in, it. And in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I love it. It's great in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think the choice matters and the context matters. This one just throws them about willy-nilly as long as there is any sort of oblique reference to the lyrics. I don't mind. And that's it. I will go over every song that I was able to identify while we watched. And I also looked them up. And when they came out, and like half of them were not out in 1994. That's that's the part that How do you not me. do that research? You have so many great songs to work with. You do not need to go into the future with these. If you're going to set it in a very specific time and include songs that are supposed to evoke that time period, don't include songs from 1997. Yeah, that's fucked up. I agree. That's messed up. You can only watch this movie on Netflix if you have a subscription, but most of you do, I assume, or know somebody who does. Should people watch Fear Street Part 1, 1994? I'm going to say yes, Yes. uh, and I would recommend that if you have already seen the whole trilogy... I do recommend watching it a second time. Yeah, uh, because if you it watched does it when change. it first came out, watch it again for this podcast. It changes a lot of things. Yeah. in the first two films, when you know what's going on, it also adds new layers of confusion. A little bit, which we'll dabble in, but not. We'll try to avoid full trilogy spoilers. Okay. I liked this one. I think it's a fine movie. Uh, I would recommend that you see it. Um, but more so, I would recommend you see it so that you can see the second one. Yeah, the second one. Is so good. Yeah, it has mm, it has like a Star Wars sort of quality arc to it. Mm-hmm. Where the first one's really great. Second one's better. Third one's good, but not as good as the first two. No. And this is coming from somebody who really liked Return of the Jedi. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's just not as good as the first two. And the second one's kind of the best of the trilogy. It just does that. Indiana Jones, I feel, has a completely different arc. <laughs> Anyways, talking about trilogies and quality arcs. But you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2021's Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Dude, what the hell? This is exactly why you have no friends. Look, some gal killed a bunch of people at the mall last night. Holy shit. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? Sarah Fear's back. Christ, not you two. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Yes, I think there's someone in the woods. We're together for one night and dead people are trying to kill us. Maybe we are doomed. She was so sexy, but so crazy. Normal bitches don't bleed black blood. How do we not die? I'm looking at you, witch nerd. You can't stop it. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Fear Street Part 1, 1994, begin? We meet a girl. I'm not sure what her name is. She works at B. Dalton's. Yeah, B. Dalton Bookstores. I I heard that. Yay, B. Dalton. Mm -hmm. This is Maya Hawk, 
daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. She was in season three of Stranger Things. We get a little interaction with a customer buying, I think it's a Fear Street book. I don't remember. I think so. And they call it trash. Yeah, I wrote a shameless attempt at stoking the ire of the audience to get them on the movie's side. Yes. With this customer bad-mouthing trash horror. That she's just buying for her teenage daughter. Uh Uh-huh. Fantastic choice. I love this one. It's trash. Lowbrow horror. It's for my stepdaughter. Uh, That'll be 295. Thank you for shopping at B. Dalton's. They start to play Closer. Yep, the first of way too many musical cues, Closer by Nine Inch Nails. To show us the Shady Side Mall, and to introduce us to the kind of the main antagonist of this movie, I guess, Ryan. He is, I mean, he's going to be the the killer who keeps coming back yeah. in this one. So we meet Ryan, he's friends with Heather, and he's going to take her home at the end of the night. They both work at the mall, but Ryan is hearing voices and acting a little bit strangely. Yeah. She will go to close the gate on her store, Fidalton, and it won't close all the way, and that will become important in the third installment yeah, of the film. Yeah, it's going to be important later on in this segment, but it is also going to be important in the first installment, yeah. But so someone is running around in her store, and she thinks it's, maybe it's Ryan, or maybe it's just somebody trying to freak her out. But she quickly realizes that, no, this person is out for blood as he stabs her, but unintentionally stabs the book instead. So then he has to run after her in the mall. And he ends up slashing her stomach, but somehow she's still okay. And she's able to run into what is essentially the Spencers of the mall, where Ryan worked. Which is why he has a blow-up doll and, and a skeleton mask. Yes. And she calls 911 but she is unable to tell them what is going on. But they do send help, but it's not going to get there in time. Who is the help that they send, Kelsey? It's going to be the sheriff. Sheriff Good, Nick Good, who I wrote down as a dude that looks like a cross between Ryan from The Office and Fred Savage. Yeah, he definitely looks like the guy from The Office. Ashley Zuckerman is his name. But so he's going to get there and he's going to shoot Ryan. But before he can do that, Heather will know it's Ryan. Yeah, she tears off his mask and it reveals that it's Ryan. It's very sad. She's like, it's me. It's me. Yeah, he she just- gets stabbed. There's a slow motion grabbing her from behind and stabbing her a la Scream. Yes, it's a very Scream death. Maya Hawk being one of the biggest names in this movie. So, you know, just like the Drew Barrymore killed off in the first scene of Scream sort of moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the sheriff's response to this death is very important for the entire series. It's going to make you ask a few questions if you've seen the whole thing, though. Yeah. So his response is going to be, he's not very surprised by what he has found. Uh-huh. But maybe a little bit scared, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But we're not going to talk about it. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, we will hint to more things going on in the latest installments of the trilogy, but we'll, again, we'll try to avoid being too spoilery. We then get a montage for the credits where we get to see all of the horrific serial killers that have come out of mm-hmm. this place called Shady side meanwhile this other place called sunnyvale always prospers and does well we will also see a hint to 1666 where it'll show on the map where shady side and 
Sunnyvale came from a single place called Union. Yes. We do see that in the intro, but, you know, it doesn't really mean much to us right now. It means nothing to us at the moment. There is a hint about the Sarah Fear situation, and they will talk about that throughout the film. So we'll get to that mm -hmm. as they talk about it. After the intro, we get I'm Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage. Yes. Which didn't come out until the next year. Oh, no. Yep. Over who will be our main character, Dina. Yes. Played by Kiana Madera. And... She looks like somebody famous, but she's not. Yeah. I can't think of who she reminds me of, though. But so, yeah, I'm only happy when it rains is playing, and she's upset because she has an ex-girlfriend. Now, you're not supposed to know that it's a girlfriend, and it's they, an ex named Sam. They intentionally call her Sam so that uh -huh. you don't know it's a girl until the big reveal. I will say, big fan of girls with boy nicknames. Love it. Charlie's, Sam's, all those. <laughs> her father is an alcoholic. Her brother is this big time, like, electronics nerd. Like, he's way into the internet, which if you were alive in 1994, you would know it was not cool yeah. back then. This is Benjamin Flores Jr. playing Josh. He is on what looks like an AOL chat room. Which it couldn't be, it makes, right? Well, it could be. Chat oh, rooms did been. exist in 94, but it also triggers those sounds. Those specific those sounds. sounds are from AOL Instant Messenger, which did not exist yet. Yeah. It's also using, this is something that it seems petty, but it's using a font that didn't exist back then. Calibri? Yes. Didn't uh -huh. exist back then? Did not exist. That's really funny. But yeah, no, the sounds really bothered me. Because I was like, dude, I know those sounds because I used AOL Messenger when I was in middle school, and this was well before I was in middle school. Yeah, he's also using an old computer from the 80s, an Amiga 2000, which is running a Windows operating system, which it should not be. Ah. Uh, but he believes in the conspiracy theories of the Witch of Seraphir, as does a girl online who we will not meet until the third film. And Chris and I had trouble remembering that storyline. I remember some, certain things about it, but, like, I couldn't even picture her in my mind. Yeah, I, and I think it's because, if I remember correctly, we do get to see her, mm -hmm. but, like, for a scene, and she contributes practically nothing. Yes. It's just exciting for the brother. Yes. But so he believes that people are being possessed by the witch, and they are killing people Against their will. Yes. Which is pretty close to what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she's very mad because it's like, do you know, do you know how expensive this internet bullshit is? Uh -huh. Which back then it was, it was very, very expensive. very expensive, yeah. And you're they, not only paying for the service, you're paying for the minutes. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to hear any of his sh conspiracy bullshit because they've got to get to school. As they show up for school, Machine Head by Bush. Yep. Almost yep. immediately fades into when Josh sees Kate. Damn, Just I Wish I Was Your Lover by Sophie B. Hawkins, which then as soon as that scene, that moment passes, it fades then immediately into a new song, not back into Machine Head, but into Sour Times by Portishead from the Dummy album, which is absolutely incredible, by the way. Everyone should buy Portishead's Dummy. But that's I three songs just... that song. Really? I didn't know that one. Okay, yeah. I thought it was pretty, and I liked that it 
helped evoke how sad she was, but I was like, I do not know this song. Just like get into Portishead, people. <laughs> but while Damn, I Wish your I Was Your Lover is playing, he recites the Konami Code. That's the famous Konami code. But every time somebody says that, I think, oh, you didn't have any friends. <laughs> because the Konami code that I memorized from playing specifically Contra was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, which allows you to play with two players. That's so, so everyone sad. who just says start, they're only playing a one player game. And it's like, oh, that's okay. I played like Contra with my brother. And so, Aww. You know. <laughs> that is sad. But poignant. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But so she goes into the bathroom where her friend Kate is going to show her that she is dealing again, Mm -hmm. along with their other friend. Simon. Who, by the way, Kate and Simon are not in a relationship. So I wrote two things down. I wrote, number one, this is the guy that Kelsey didn't remember in the third installment, 1666. (laughs) Uh, When we saw him, she's like, who? Who is this guy? And then also, is he with Kate or not? No. Because it's every single movie language option used saying that these two are a couple. Yes, or that one of them has to be gay. But no, both of them are straight and both of them are just friends. And that is fine. Even is, when he spends all fine. of his time with her while she's babysitting, takes off his top around. Like, it's all the movie language showing that they should at least have some sort of flirtation. Yeah. And there's nothing, which is a little refreshing. It was but also, refreshing. It threw me for a loop. <laughs> but yeah, but confusing. Refreshing uh-huh. but confusing. But so someone has spray painted on the bathroom walls... A, a rhyme. Nursery rhyme about Seraphir. She reaches from beyond the grave to make good men her wicked slaves. She'll take your blood, she'll take your head, she'll follow you until you're dead. And that has two or three maybe important elements in there that's going to have application to the rest of the story. But we're not going to talk about it. No. Well, we will by the end of this episode. She'll follow you until you're dead, makes good men her wicked slaves, and then taking your blood are the three things. Okay, so there are a couple of other kind of confusing things happening in this conversation between Dina, Kate, and Simon. There's some confusing things, so let's get it out there. First of all, Kate and Simon are going to be laughing about the death, the death that took place. I mean, I guess what they're going for is these people have been around this so much that they're very... Desensitized. Yeah, that's what happens They're shady siders, man. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's our history. That's what happens. We laugh about it or we'd cry, right? Uh I guess that's what they're going for. But it felt really strange because Dina is like, dude... This girl died and you guys don't care, which in and of itself is a little bit strange. But you can also think about the fact that they talk about that in Halloween, right? In the new Halloween, the kid makes the joke about she lost three or four friends in the grand scheme of things. Is that a big deal? I guess that's kind of what's happening here. Uh But it is a little it's a little off putting. It's also off putting that she only mentions the girl who died. Yeah, well, the other guy's the killer. I understand. 
They don't seem at all weirded out by yeah, that. Uh, they don't. It's just, hey, some random girl was killed by a killer. But they no, yeah. but they know her. She brings yeah. up her name. She brings it up like you guys should be upset. Her the girl's locker was very close yeah, to uh, her locker, so it makes sense that she knew this person. Did they just not know Ryan? Did he not exist in their high school <laughs> world? What is happening? Even if it was some random guy at my high school, if he had killed people. I'd be freaking the hell out. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is they will continue to refer to him as Skullface mm-hmm. and not Ryan. Like, they know who he is and he will come back. Mm-hmm. And they continue to just give him a killer name and not the name of the person they know he is. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. Skull Mask, I think, is the actual name. There is also a weird conversation about the fact that, I, and I guess this is supposed to be comedic, they are talking about, well, we're going to start dealing again. And she says, I thought you'd stopped dealing after that kid OD'd. It Simon's brother. <laughs> well, that makes it even fucking worse. <laughs> and they laugh about it and they say, that doesn't count. They brought him back. Which, they're going to use that later as a, oh, we can do that too. So I guess that's why it's in the story. But yeah. it seems wildly yeah, when, inappropriate. When you don't know that, it's them going, you know, dude, your brother almost died. And you're still selling this stuff? Yeah. It, I don't know. Maybe teenagers are even more desensitized than well, I thought I think they were. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question to ask about who deserves to have bad things happen to them in a horror movie. You know, like back in the 80s, it was, oh, did you do drugs? Did you have sex? You deserve to die. You know, the pure one who didn't go skinny dipping, she survives. You know, so now in this one... Like, what what qualifies as impurity? Not to get ahead of ourselves, but I'm happy to say that, you know, being a lesbian does not merit death in this franchise. But other things do. And, you know, it, it's also weird that this movie has, I think, a sort of initial reputation of being like, oh, it's a teenage horror movie. It's not really that gritty or interesting. You know, like, everyone's kind of just a good kid. And that's absolutely, like... Two of our main characters are drug dealers, dealing drugs to other kids. The thing is, is that there's a part of me, there's a strong part of me that doesn't really care. I mean, they they give you all this backstory as to why you shouldn't care, yeah. right? She's the valedictorian. She needs this money to go to college because her family has no money. You also find out later that Simon is supporting his entire family yeah. because his father left the picture. You know, like... There's all these reasons to not to to not dislike them because they're dealers. I don't really care that they are they're dealers, but it seems weird to laugh about a kid almost dying. Yeah, uh-huh. that seems weird to me. And even if you're not expected to, the fact that they are, if you're not expected to also laugh, alienates you from them. Mm-hmm. And this is how they convince Dina to go with them tonight to band or whatever because she's quit band because I guess the only reason she was in band was because her girlfriend was a cheerleader but now her cheerleader girlfriend is gone so why even be in band I guess but she wants to return stuff to her ex Uh and so her friend is like I'm not doing that shit you need to man up and do it yourself and then they say they hear an announcement that attendance is required for all football players, cheerleaders, and band members. So, but to then, go to a, a vigil. Yes. For at the game, the so girl there's going to be a, a game and a vigil. I think, right? I don't know. 
We never see the game. We never so see the game. They get on the bus and it's playing Insane in the Membrane by Cypress Hill. Yes. As she gets on the bus, as soon as the bus leaves, seconds later, it fades into Creep because by Radiohead. Because she puts her headphones in. The totally idea fine. is that she's drowning out totally what the rest fi- of them are. No, I get it. But, but as the bus pulls away and we leave the bus, it fades from Creep to the actual movie score. So it does three musical cues in the span of like 30 seconds. It like this is what I'm talking about when it's a little overzealous with the referential soundtrack. I don't mind it. It doesn't yeah. bother me. We're also supposed to believe that they're the witches that a high school is going to make their mascot the witches. Well, I mean that's in Paranorman. I'm of the opinion, guys, that this movie took a lot from Paranorman. <laughs> <laughs> There's some Paranorman stuff going on here for sure. <laughs> Especially as you get into 1666. Mm-hmm. But. But so they did it in Paranorman. You didn't have a problem with it then. Because that's an animated kids movie. <laughs> it's, things are silly in it. This is supposed to be like, oh, this is the real experience of teenagers, you know. And Well, the other group is the Devils. What's the problem? I could imagine a sports team being named the Devils. Why well, gotta be sexist? I'm not sexist. <laughs> school mascots are. <laughs> I came from a school where we were the poets, and we were proud. Yeah, that was a college that didn't really do sports. (laughs) So, they're driving away, they arrive at the vigil. This is where we find out that her girl, well, we still don't know. She's looking over and we see a guy and a girl making out, and she's sad. So we know that one of them is the boyfriend or girlfriend. If you haven't seen it before, you might be thinking it's the dude. Uh Uh-huh. So we get that moment that when Sam shows up later, you're like, whoa, it's actually the girl of that couple. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But so Dina, like, goes off by herself. Mm -hmm. And then Sam follows her, even though the movie has not set up the fact that Sam even knew she was there. Yeah. But whatever. And Sam her instrument's nowhere to be found. Never, just carrying the never box. Never see an instrument. <laughs> but yeah, so she ends up giving her the stuff. And we find out that Dina actually broke up with Sam. But Sam did leave to go and live with her mom yeah. over in Sunnyvale. And so that's why Dina broke up with her. I mean, her parents divorced. She can't help that. Her mother moved to Sunnyvale. She can't help that. But she did get to choose where she went, and she chose to go with her mom. Now, Sam explains, I'm only half an hour away. and as Which is weird. You're the next town over, and it's a half-hour drive. Especially when we get to see kind of how close they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. When we, like, in 1666. But, you know, who knows? Towns expand. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, anyway... She's really mad that she has a new boyfriend, which kind of pissed me off because it's like, are you saying, I I guess she's saying, well, you've now become straight because now you're in Sunnyvale. Yeah, well, she's running from who she really is, which is sort of like bi erasure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the problem I have here. I'm like, are you saying that she can't be bi? Is that what you're saying? But Dina also kind of... She admits that she's wrong about, like, all her anger towards Sam. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just pa- wrapped up in her anger towards Sam. And Sam explains, you know, I can't be around you all the time. Your attitude is just draining. Mm-hmm. You believe that shit is doomed. And I love Dina's response. Shit is doomed. <laughs> Jesus, you're doing it again. Doing what? Welcome to the suck. 
Shit is doomed. Shit is doomed. And she's correct. She Uh is 100% correct, but not for the reasons that she thinks she is correct. Yep. Meanwhile, the teams are fighting because her douche boyfriend, Peter, has said that Shady Side deserves what it gets because they're uh-huh. all crazy ass. In the middle of the vigil. Yeah, in the middle of the vigil. So one of those behaviors where school bullies do things that literally no one would do. <laughs> so they end up all fighting each other, which is why we never get to see the game, because suddenly they're on the bus. Uh-huh. And they are having a riotous Kate chanting is, experience. Kate is delivering a speech, and then they chant for Kate. <laughs> Guys, I'm a teacher. I have been on numerous, th- like, there's no teacher there, there's no bus driver. Yeah, bus we never even see would never the bus driver. allow this to happen. Like, it's just... Later on, things are going to get thrown at yes. the bus, yeah. the emergency door is going to open, and this bus driver never even looks back, Nothing. the camera never even looks at them, never even stops the bus. It's like, this is going to be the instigating incident for yeah, the entire franchise, and it's just so fucking sloppy. Yeah, it is It is not well put together. There were other things they could have done to work around it, and they just didn't. They just said, fuck it. The kids are riding in the bus by themselves for some yeah, reason. Uh-huh. The parents and teachers just left them to their own uh-huh. devices. This is the first bus driver in history that hasn't yelled at the riotous students on their bus. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, so they realize that Peter... Of course, it's Peter and Sam and some of his other friends Uh are driving behind the bus. And I don't know, trying to intimidate them with their tiny car versus a bus. Yeah. Like, what do you what what do you think is going to happen? I think they think that they're running them out of town, basically throwing eggs or something, something at the bus that smashes against the the glass window at the rear of the bus. I guess. And Adina gets the idea, well, let's just dump out the contents of our cooler onto the car and, you know, fuck with them. So they grab the cooler, they open up the emergency exit, which again, the bus driver does nothing. Nope. The people in the car behind... Don't realize what's happening. Like, they... Like, it's, the door opens, there's somebody standing there with the cooler, slow down or change Swerve lanes. Swerve out of the do way. something. They do nothing. They do nothing. The Dina, people in the bus don't even realize what's yep. happening. Nobody is realizing what's happening. Dina gets a bloody nose in this moment. Which causes Kate to let go, Uh-huh. apparently. And it's then so the, scary that a person's getting a bloody yep. nose. The weight of the cooler then swings Dina's arm out causing her to lose it. The whole entire cooler smashes against the car behind them and they swerve off the road and crash. It's only then that the bus driver stops. We still never get to find out. We still never get to see them or anything. It's so silly. So they spin out of control and they crash and they tumble and toss. Sam ends up getting out of the car and crawling and she gets to this like red moss shit don't even ask it's such a dumb concept i think it's so fucking stupid but the she touches it which causes her to have a nosebleed and then she sees visions of the witch and bleeds on the moss it's fun having seen the third movie Uh and knowing what she's actually seeing yes we get flashes of what we're going to see in the third movie. So again, if you've already seen the series, I do recommend rewatching it. It is fun to see that and yeah. knowing all mm-hmm. these things. And then Dina and Simon and Kate show up. 
arguing with the football players who survived the whole thing. And then Nick Good shows up, the sheriff, and is interviewing Dina. And Dina's like, nothing happened. I don't know what happened. Yeah, they all lie because they all did something bad. Yeah, uh uh-huh. You know, Peter can't say what he was doing, and they can't say what they were doing, so. And then Peter pretends to hug Dina, only to draw her close so he can threaten her. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. My car is totaled. Well, Daddy will buy you a new one. Shady side trash. You are all fucking dead. And it's important that he threatens her here. And Nick just watches the whole time. He knows something is happening here. And he knows that this Sunny Veiler has just threatened this shady cider. But he, you know, he, he, he's going to do arrest him. Yeah, what's like, he going to do? Yeah, so he just looks on and it's like, something's going on. There's kind of nothing I can do about it right now. Yep. Or is there? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is important that he threatens her. Because that's why they're going to assume that everything that happens after this is him. Yeah. That coupled with the fact that he had on Skull Mask while he was threatening them with the car. Those two things combined are going to be important. We get another song that I didn't know. You didn't know More Human Than Human by White Zombie? Yeah. I, maybe I just didn't recognize the part that they played. While He's Josh playing Castlevania is playing 3? Castlevania. No, Castlevania Bloodlines. Oh. For the Genesis. Oh, did you have that game, Chris? I did not, no. I certainly didn't, because Sean never had a Genesis. Really? Mm-mm. I had a Nintendo. I had a Genesis. I had a Super Nintendo. I had a 64, a PlayStation, a PlayStation 2, a PlayStation 3, an Xbox, an Xbox 360, yeah, and then so on. We only ever had Nintendo and PlayStation. I didn't even touch an Xbox until I... Well, maybe he got an Xbox in high school. Maybe. I don't remember. That's also a song that didn't come out until the year later. I think she sees somebody in a costume and she assumes it's Peter. Yeah, watching her. Yes, watching her from across the street. That's Uh right. And next door, just happens to be next door, Kate is babysitting and Simon is helping her. And again, I guess it's funny, she's having her kids that she's babysitting sort her drugs. Wild G's and Hustlers by Snoop Dogg is playing. And then Simon is sorting the like, laundry. It's kind of funny, but and she does warn them. She does say, "And uh, do not eat these. These will make your little heart stop, and you'll choke to death on your own vomit, and everyone will be so so super sad." Got it. But like they're but kids. But it seems unreasonable that that would happen. And they could die. Yeah, you have your <laughs> boyfriend, boy space friend. They're with you. Why are you having them sort anything? Yeah. Like, again, in Halloween, it's kind of funny how they are, they curse with each other and they talk about weed. But actually having them deal with the drugs, like, these are children you are babysitting. Yeah. And that that seems not only irresponsible, but also cruel. (laughs) I wrote down here, are they dating or not? Because she points out that he's wearing the bloody shirt from when Sam coughed up blood on him. And he's like, oh, I got it dirty at work. And this was the only shirt I had in my car. So he, what, should I just take it off? And so he takes it off there. And now he's topless around her. And it's like, surely they're dating. But they're not. They are not. And it's not even a flirtation. But again, Every piece of movie language used to imply their day. Anyway. But it's uh, very important that he takes that shirt off with the blood on it because that's what's going to lead whoever it is wearing the skull mask 
to come into the home where she is babysitting, which yeah. is going to prompt her to take her the children to this to the house next door. That is Mary Lane, who used to be a nurse. We're gonna meet her. We're gonna in meet part her in part two. two. And uh, her daughter, we're gonna meet coming here. up. Yeah, uh-huh. coming up soon. But we aren't gonna know that. We aren't gonna know it. No. We have no idea. These are all these threads are that are gonna be tied up as you continue watching. Mm-hmm. But so it's that blood. They're gonna figure it out later. I'll just spoil it now. It's that blood that the skull mask person is going after. Yes, because he like sniffs the shirt and uh-huh. then leaves. Yeah, and you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> but they think it's just Peter fucking with them, which would be weird. But yeah. Peter's a weird guy, according to them. And so Dina gets the idea to talk to Sam to tell her to have Peter knock it the fuck off. So they go and visit Nurse Betty. But before they do, Kate says to Josh, "You come in or what?" Uh huh. Which makes Josh, Josh is like very uh-huh. excited because he is. He has a biggest crush on Kate. Mm-hmm. So when they go to the hospital, the nurse at the reception desk is like, visiting hours end at nine. And then they're like, can we speak to Nurse Betty? And the Wait. receptionist is like, Mrr. Before that, though, uh-huh. we're listening to Killing Me Softly. Oh, I missed that one. Killing Me Softly is playing. I missed that you one. You probably missed it because it's a 70s song. It's not the 90s uh, remake. Maybe, maybe that's why. I know there's another song in here that I also don't write down because it wasn't like time frame setting. Right. That's what I was writing down. But I think they put that in there because it's from the 70s and the second one is from the 70s. Yeah, maybe. And they remade it in the 90s. Yeah. So I think that's why they played it. Probably would have been smarter if they played the Fuji's version in this one and then that version in part two. I don't think anybody would have caught it. It would have been, but it's, who cares? It's a fun little Easter egg. True. Yeah, so we meet Nurse Betty. When he comes up, your woman plays. Yeah, by White Town, which... It's kind of a weird yeah, thing it's to not, do. It's not certain whether he's trans or not. It's just a dude who wrote Betty on his name tag. But and maybe that's makeup, the case. Maybe and that's, that's the fine, case. but playing your woman at the same time is a little iffy. The lines that... of which are, I could never be your woman. And it's a guy singing. Yeah. 1997. I didn't think it was so early. I thought that at the time. I was like, I think that's mm-hmm. older. Nurse Betty is Kate and Simon's drug connection. I mean, younger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he is saying, well, they're cracking down on these pills. And they're like, that's okay. We want to see a patient. And so while Simon, Kate, and Josh go to a vending machine and Josh gets to show off that he knows the secret code to release all of the food in the vending machine. Which I'm sure there has to be one right? for people that yeah. work those things. But I bet I would assume you would need a key for that. Ah. Dina goes to talk to Sam. And Sam's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Tell Peter to back off. What are you talking about? Peter's been with me all night. Peter shows up and Dina's like, fuck you. Stay away from me and my friends. I don't know what you're talking about, you psycho. And then he's dead. Knife to the back through the curtain. Kind of like in Ted Friday the 13th. in Friday the 13th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's not Peter. <laughs> I wrote down, I'm glad they kill the boyfriend right away and stop that misunderstanding storyline as soon as possible. Yep. I'm fine with it existing, but I did not want it to last the whole movie. Agreed. <laughs> or at least the whole, you know, first two acts or something. 
But so it's it's a funny little shot. They are running and screaming down the hallway past their friends. And Simon goes, did they get back together? And then the gold mass killer comes running by. Uh-huh. And they all scream. And it's very fun. This is what I want. And this is what all of part two is. Part two is just fun. Yeah. I will say there's a little bit of a logical inconsistency here because both the receptionist nurse and nurse Betty are killed. Because they get in his way. That's the thing. He won't kill you. He's after the person with the blood that he's looking for, which in this case is Sam. Or anyone who's been come in contact with that blood. Yes. But anybody who gets in his way, he'll kill them too. That's what I've kind. That's what I kind of picked up on. I personally think it's they used it when it worked for the film. Yes, and they loosely put it around. If you're in his way, he'll kill you. Yeah, like with Michael Myers. Yeah, in this process, he's going to attack Sam and Dina, and one of them is gonna get his mask off, and we're gonna see that it is Ryan from the beginning who was. Shot. With a bullet hole in his head. Uh Uh-huh. You can see it. And she's just like, what the fuck? So they're going to go and tell the sheriff this. Meanwhile, the sheriff, this is an odd little thread, but it Mm. will play throughout the rest of the series. There is this guy who the sheriff claims has been spray painting stuff all over the town. This is fun when you've seen this whole series. But when you haven't seen the whole series, it's very strange. Yeah. And it feels out of nowhere. And even by the end, even by the end when they've explained everything, it just feels like a a thread that wasn't necessary. But it works, I feel. This is Daryl Britt Gibson who is playing Martin. He's going to become a bigger factor in the third movie. But it's important here that Josh is going to help him out. We can just say this right now at one point. He's just in handcuffs later on. And... Josh gives him a paperclip and Martin gives him his card. So Josh has his card. That's going to be important for the third movie. Yes. But yes. So they're talking to a police officer. Then Nick Good is like, what the hell is going on here? And he's going to interview Dina and Sam who are like, we saw Ryan. He killed those people in the hospital. And and Nick's like, what are you even talking about? What is this nonsense? Until the other cop comes in and it's like, uh, there's something going on at the hospital. Mm-hmm. He leaves to go check out the hospital, passes by Simon, who's been peeing on a wall and scares him. <laughs> We didn't say they stole a ambulance from the hospital. That's how they got to the police station. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, I forgot about that. But, so it's important that Simon is by himself. Yes. He's going to start hearing someone singing. Now, I really don't like that she sings. I get that it's part of the film. I get that it's part of the scare factor. It ramps up the suspense. I understand all that. Why does no one else do anything like that? Right. None of the other killers speak. None of the other killers. And we know. Do anything like that. Ruby Lane, this killer, was possessed. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they're all possessed, why does one of them just randomly sing a song? Yes. Yeah, it bothered me. I don't like when you do something to be scary, but it does not make sense within the plot. Yeah. I hate that. As they're leaving... Dina pretends to, like, be really scared and jumps on the cop and is like, please do something so that she can take his gun. Yeah. Which they're just not going to talk about with the cop situation. There are no consequences Like, he, you're a cop and you lose your gun. Isn't that a huge deal? It's a very big deal. I mean, 
one entire character arc of Magnolia is about a cop losing yeah. his gun. Yeah. So as Ruby Lane attacks Simon, they're leaving. They find Simon in the street on Main Street or whatever. They're able to save him. And yeah, they shoot Ruby Lane. But then she gets back up. Which tells them that they can live, which they should have already known. From Ryan. From Ryan. Which Josh explains very quickly, this is all Sarah Fear's doing. So he has a list of killers. But I love Simon's response. Jesus, Rain Man, how did you know all that? <laughs> so he's been studying the Sarah Fear's stuff, and he thinks that she is... As the nursery rhyme said, making good men her wicked slaves, he lists all the stories of killers from Shadyside. The first one being Pastor Cyrus Miller, who killed a bunch of children. That will come up in the third movie. Yep. We get the grifter, who we get a shot of him drowning somebody, but he's not a big player. He is mentioned, though. There's Billy Barker, who is a kid wearing a mask and beating to death Somebody in a bed with a baseball bat. We'll see him a lot because he's a kid and he's got a creepy mask yeah. on and that's good for the film. So the Humpty Dumpty killer is mentioned, but no major details. We never see him either. The milkman going into a house. I think we get. Oh, no, he comes in uh, part two. Uh, Ruby Lane, who we just met. Tommy Slater, who is the Camp Nightwing killer, yes. who is what the second movie is all about. Yes. And then Skull Mask, who is Ryan Torres. So that's all the shady side killers that have been happening every couple years. Yeah, and they, they stop when they bring up Tommy Slater. And Kate explains, yeah, my mom's sister was there that really messed with my family. Mm -hmm. uh, again, giving more information because that's going to be the one for part two. I wonder if we took the time to look at Kate's name we could find out who her who aunt is. Her aunt is. I would like to do that for when we do the second one. Yeah, that'd absolutely. be cool. But they also come to the opinion that it all comes down to Sarah Fears, who is putting this curse on people that disturb her bones, and they they figure that must be it. Sam bled. That's when Sam's like, I saw Sarah Fears, you know, in that vision that I had when we got into the accident. Yeah, it's odd that they come to that conclusion. I guess it's all the information they have to go on. But, I mean, consider all the other people. You think that every single one of them happened to be in that same area and happened to bleed on her bones, and that's why it happened? Well, this is my point, is that what we are going to find out, this is the stuff where I'm going to say, you, you need to know now, even though it's not really revealed until the third movie, Sarah Fears is not the one causing these people to kill. That It's not Sarah Fears' curse that's, that's taking over these men's souls. And that's going to be a big part of everything across this storyline that we find out more and more as the movies go on. The third movie has the unenviable task of both needing to have a, be a climax of itself, but also the entire trilogy. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of, I think, what makes the third movie the worst of the three. Mm. But anyway, 300 years is a very long time for Bones to just be chilling there right under the moss. Agreed. But they are special. Sure. So There's they show magic up. There. They find Bones with a hand missing because she cut off her hand in order to cast this curse, supposedly. And w when they go, uh -huh. they put on headlamps. Oh, and yes. Dina says, I can't believe you're going to wear one of those to her friend Kate. And Kate says, I can't believe that you're above wearing it when there's a psycho dead killer out there trying to kill us. Uh huh. 
I can't believe you're wearing that. I can't believe you're above wearing it when you're in the middle of the fucking woods and dead maniacs are after us. And the headlamps are going to be useful. It's not, like, incredibly useful, but important for their survival later on. Like, I think more movies should have headlamps. I got one sitting not three feet from where Kelsey is right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so they go, they find the bones, they find a padlock on the chains that has fear scratched into it. But this is fear spelled F-I-E-R, not F-E-A-R. It's just a homonym. Yes. So they're like, oh my God, it's really her. We've disturbed her. How do we fix this? Well, we need to rebury her. Simon has this idea. Like poltergeist. He says it's like poltergeist, and that's not what poltergeist is about no but they have the problems because the bodies were disturbed i get it and so he's like well if we undisturb the bodies <laughs> if we undisturb the bodies maybe so they're like we're really sorry <laughs> uh josh is kind of hanging out on the lookout and here comes the camp nightwing killer running through with a burlap sack on his head a la jason from friday the 13th part two mm-hmm. and comes charging towards him and runs right past him towards the kids this is when they figure out it's the blood yes they realize it's like Jaws. It's like Jaws, which is another thing that Simon says. It's like, yeah, because he was all interested in that shirt. I thought he was just a perv, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's Jaws, dude. A shark smelling blood. Kate's right. When we found Skeletor, he was all sniffy and weird with my shirt, like like a perv in a panty shop. And Dina has blood on her shoes. That's why it went after her. How do they take care of him in this moment? How do they take care of... I don't remember, but they get away. Yeah. They drive away. They're in an ambulance. <laughs> so, but because they realize that it's after the blood, they decide to set a trap. And during the trap setting sequence, we get Firestarter. Yes, which wasn't released for another two years after this. Another two years. Like, why wouldn't you research this? It's not like any of these songs in and of themselves are essential. It's always just like 15 seconds of the most famous part of the song and... Like, you could have picked any song from 1994 or earlier. probably what they could afford. They were, trying to get, they were trying to get popular songs. That these songs are cheap? No, but they probably are the most popular ones that they could get for the cheapest. It just seems like you get more creative when you add constraints. And I totally agree. I 100% agree. I hate that they play music outside of the time frame. It's such, a, it's such a simple thing to fix. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they go to the school, right? Yes, and while they're setting up all these traps, they say, smile, you son of a bitch. That's what Simon says, Mm because he's obvious. It's weird. He's the silly one. He's the comic relief. But Josh is the nerd. Like, I would think he would know more about this. It doesn't matter. It's kind of weird that he's just, he's pouring out chum, effectively, is his point. Yes. You know? And so they they pour Sam's blood into buckets of water and start mopping it everywhere. All of these blood trails go into a bathroom where Sam is going to be in a stall, and then they pour all this flammable liquid everywhere in the bathroom, and then, sure enough, all the killers we've met so far show up. There's Skull Mask, there's Ruby Lane, and there's the Nightwing Killer. And they all follow their individual pathways so neatly, and they ignore the people that have cleaned themselves up of all the blood that they ever had on them. Oh, yeah, we forgot to mention. I wrote down, do they ever explain the simultaneous horniness? Yeah, so they all have to go and get cleaned up because they can't have any blood on them. Because they realize that Dina had blood on her shoes. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
which is why they were also Josh after had blood Dina. on his shirt. And, yeah. So yeah. got to get everything off of you, right? So everybody kind of goes into these different locker rooms. And so Dina and Sam go off together and they're going to hook up. Um, Kate and Josh are going to go into a bathroom and they're going to make out, which we don't even get to see. And then Simon is going to be by himself and we assume he jerks off. Well, he, he says he tells as us, much. Yes. Wait, 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 wait. Did you all go to Pound Town? Me too. It feels magically compelled, but there's no explanation. It's just they needed a sex moment. Yeah, which, they just needed them to be horny teens, I guess. I mean, but it's so funny because the most we, well, I guess it's not that funny. The most we get is of the two girls, and now that I think about it, that makes the most sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's super sexy, but they're teenagers. Yeah. Uh, we get Sweet Jane by the Cowboy Junkies over this scene. Uh, Josh, his nervous breathing in this scene, when Kate's like, I just don't want to do this alone, can you come and help me? And she takes off her top, and he cleans off the blood, and then, you know, she turns to him, and he, his nervous breathing is, like, perfect. <laughs> I don't know how this kid pulled it off. <laughs> Might have been really nervous. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, fire starter while they're prepping. Everyone shows up. By the way, Sam's just sitting in a closed room full of all these fumes that are going to explode later. How is she not passed out on the floor? Or high on high on the fumes and her own low blood pressure after she's been giving them all this blood. <laughs> but yes, they follow the blood trails into this bathroom. They start knocking down bathroom doors. Sam crawls through a vent. They close the door behind them and then light all the gas or whatever it is on fire. But just like in Hocus Pocus, what they should have fucking realized is they can't be killed. Yeah. They cannot be killed. So there's a big explosion after all the killers are set on fire. And then they start like reconstituting while the kids are celebrating. So then they have this idea, well, let's just sacrifice Sam. And Sam ends up volunteering to do it, even though Dina is freaking the hell out. Sam's like, I'm going to die one way or another. Why do you guys need to die? So then Sam will go out there for like 10 seconds and they'll all start to come towards her. And then it'll dawn on everybody in the other room. Hey, wait a minute. See, Berman survived. So let's not sacrifice Sam. So then they bring Sam back in. It's just like, well, what was the point of having her out there? Oh, right. So that you could they have another a, scary, a suspenseful moment. moment. Exactly. I hate that. I hate it when I'm looking at a movie and I'm like, wow, but that all, was just yeah, there for There needs that. to be a tense moment where they figure out a way out. Uh, so the what they figure out is that they start arguing about how, see, Berman didn't die. She survived. And then Sam's like, no, she didn't. She's reading the article. It says that she had actually died and they had to resuscitate her. So that's the new plan. They try calling C. Berman and they end up only leaving a voicemail because she's not answering. Meanwhile, the Nightwing killer is doing a Jack Torrance on the door with his axe trying to get through. They figure out that, yes, in fact, C. Berman did, in fact, die and was resuscitated. That's what they're going to have to do with Sam. And they escape before the Nightwing Killer breaks down the door. After that scene, the Sheriff Good will leave a note. 
who on we as- somebody's door. But or we whatever, assume yeah. it's C. Berman now that we've been introduced to this character mm-hmm. and this idea that this person survived, et cetera, et cetera. Even when the first time I saw it, I thought it was this person. Yeah, uh-huh. He leaves a note that says, it's happening again. Now, this has all kinds of implications that we can't talk about yet, but I think I figured it out. Okay. I would like you to tell me, and then we can put it at the end for anyone who's watched the whole trilogy, because I'm really curious and I don't want to forget by the time we get there. So, they go to the grocery store pharmacy area, and they're pouring out all these pills because they're like, well, who do we know that died and was resuscitated? If we can't get a hold of C. Berman... Oh, Simon's brother died. He OD'd, and then they resuscitated him with EpiPens. That's what we're going to do. And he breaks down specifically which pills you need to take, how many of them, in what order, what break you need to you need to take. And it's kind of complicated instructions that they're going to have a hard time keeping in their head. You need to take these in order. Pile one takes the edge off. You're going to feel like you're being fucked by a unicorn. Pile two is going to bring your core temp way down. You may feel slightly sick. Now, you need to take a five-minute interval between pile two and pile three. That's really important, okay? Pile three is what brings you down and out, so you've got to take that take five, or else it's all going to go to shit. This plan is going to go to hell. And then, in order to make sure she has enough time to OD and be resuscitated while these killers are after them, they put more of Sam's blood... (laughs) Uh, on everyone else, Josh, Kate, and Simon. Uh, Dina is going to stay with Sam and help with the overdose and then the resuscitation. So she starts taking the pills. The killers show up. So at first, Sam gets a little loopy. Then she gets a little sick and throws yeah, them up. Yeah, she throws it up. And I'm like, wouldn't that mean it wouldn't work? That's why she apologizes. Um, and Dean is like, it's okay, it's okay. And then they end up spilling the rest of the pills. Yeah. So there's nothing they can do as far as that plan goes. They need to come up with another plan. Meanwhile, everyone's getting chased and attacked. And oh my God, this movie gets some bonus points here for this scene that they do what you don't think that they would be willing to do. At most, Simon is expendable here, right? At most. But Kate gets attacked, and she gets her head run through a bread slicer. But everyone remembers why that's okay. Because Josh has his girl online. That's all anybody cares about. That's why people, they assume the only reason you're going to be upset that she died is because Josh is now Josh doesn't have a girlfriend. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Which is super just... Fucking offensive. I really liked Kate. I did too. I liked yeah. her a lot. But which why which is why it's so surprising that they kill her off. It's the movie saying, listen, it's not gonna it's like a suicide squad thing, right? Like nobody is safe. Right. But if Josh didn't have that backup girl, I don't yes. know that they would have killed her. Yep, I think you're right. Apparently, the art department was like, This isn't real. You want us to create this? There's no way in hell this would work. Uh, to the director and writer, or one of the writers, uh, Lee Janiak. And she's like, fine, try it on a watermelon. It goes right through cleanly. And they're like, 
I fine. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> and sure enough, her head just gets mutilated all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. It's before pretty, it gets jammed. It's, it's a gnarly death. And then Josh and Simon see it and they're like, oh my God, they see her body. And then as soon as Simon sees it and Josh looks at him, Simon gets an ax to the head by the Nightwing killer. Yep. And now Simon's dead too. Meanwhile, they need to kill Sam to stop all of this. So... Dina drowns her in the lobster tank. Mm-hmm. And it's rough. Like, because well, it takes a long time yeah. for a person to drown. And we take all of that time. Mm-hmm. And then she just goes limp and in people, the tank. And, like, she starts to, like, fight against it. And you might be like, why would she fight against it? That's just a human reaction. Yeah, you can't stop yourself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the sort of thing where... All these deaths are happening and they're all happening at once. And you're like, okay, how are they going to undo all of this? How are they going to go back in time after breaking the spell and then everyone's okay? They do not. They are not. They are going to kill her and then they're going to bring her back. Yes. So only Josh and Dina are left, the brother and sister. Sam, they pull her out of the tank and they just keep stabbing her with these EpiPens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she's not coming out of it. And Dina's, like, losing her mind. But eventually she does. They have the time to really focus on her because almost as soon as Sam dies in the tank, the lights in the store come back on and the killers disappear. But now, once Sam is revived, it's just the three of them. Their friends are still dead. The store's still trashed. Everything bad that happened still happened. And but they think it's over. Yeah, they, they, they do. They think it's over. And they explain to Nick, the sheriff, we were there, the killers came in, you know, there was a commotion, we hid. What are with all the cuts? Oh, I fell in some glass, some shattered glass. Everyone who has any cuts says that. And Nick's like, here's what's going to happen. If you don't tell me what actually happened, the junkies, referring to Simon and Kate, did all of it. And... Do you want that to have? That's the only explanation I have. Is this what you want? I'll tell you what the facts tell me. The junkies. Kate and Simon. They weren't junkies. They were my friends. They're to blame for everything. That feels too easy to me, but that's the story this department will go with unless you can help me to see it differently. Another shady side tragedy. I guess that's what happened. Yeah. That's all I can say happened. Uh Uh-huh. And now these two people that we really like that were good people are going to have their names run through the mud. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very depressing. But they think everything is okay. She goes home. Josh is defending the honor of Simon and Kate online. Yes. To his friend. To, To the friend in the chat room. Uh, Sam is there hanging out and Dina plays the tape that she originally didn't give her the mixtape that she originally didn't give her and it says I love you on that note but the phone rings who's on the phone Kelsey C. Berman who's Britta Perry yes Gillian Jacobs yes and she says you're not safe she'll find a way she'll come for you and that is when Sam stabs Dina. And that is the end of the movie, and that is a great way to end part well, one. Stabs her, they get into a fight, Josh doesn't hear it until he eventually 
gets confronted by Dina. Dina brings him upstairs, and we see that Sam is all tied up with a telephone cord now. I forgot about that. And yes. Dina's been stabbed. But yes. that's the way the movie ends, as a little bit of like a, you know, it could any any movie without any sequels could have ended at that moment where she gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because there is going to be a sequel that's going to follow on directly from this, we need to see. But she's okay. Yeah, she's she survives, <laughs> and now they have a mission, and that mission you're going to see is take place save. in the second one. Now we got to save Sam's Sam. soul. Mm-hmm. She's possessed now by this curse. And because earlier Dina made a promise, we're going to have the best day of our lives. We're going to get drunk and listen to the Pixies. Yeah, Hey by the Pixies is what's played on the on the mixtape. And we're going to have the greatest day. Oh, you know? the day I tried to live by Soundgarden while Josh is chatting. That's why he doesn't hear them fighting. Ah. That's another song. But because she made that promise, she's now going to honor that promise. I'm going to save you. Yeah. We get credits of uh, More Human Than Human again uh, over the to-be-continued title card and then an immediate teaser for the second movie, which was a lot of fun with Schools Out by Alice Cooper, uh, and then back to More Human Than Human in the end credits again. Uh, so just a lot of musical reference. And I love every one of these songs. Like, it's such a great soundtrack. It's just really in your face about it. And I really it. hope that we have played every single one every single time we have brought them up. <laughs> that is my hope. And All right, we have Kelsey. continued to play them on from where they left off the last time we brought them up. I was actually really excited for the concept of how they were going to do this. I was worried that why would I want to go further back in time? I see the setup, the first movie that explains there's all these different killers. And then I get a second movie and we just get to see another killer. Everything about them has already been explained in the first movie. Like, why would I want that? What it actually is, is them doing research to find out how they can change the present. Mm -hmm. And so it has actual new information being revealed in the second movie, in the second scenario that is going to affect the survivors of the first movie. And I think that's really cool. And it actually made me really excited to see the second movie. Yes. And the second movie is so much fun. It's just, you know, it's teens at a summer camp. It's teen drama. It's teen silliness. And it is... All amongst the the idea of a serial killer, like it's it's just it's everything I want in a movie, and yeah. it's great. We won't do part two next week, but we will do it sometime relatively soon. So, Kelsey, what do you think this first installment has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm gonna guess mm, like a seventy. Eighty-two. Okay, but better than I thought. Hold on to your seventy. Fear Street Part 1, 1994, kicks off the trilogy in promising fashion, honoring the source material with plenty of retro slasher appeal. The source material written by Robert Lawrence, which is what the RL and RL Stein stands for, by the way. Although it has an audience score of 63. Hmm. And it has an audience consensus here, too, which is one of the first times I've seen this. It has more enthusiasm for its throwback setting than actual inspiration. (laughs) But Fear Street's first installment does just enough to make slasher fans interested in its sequels. I think that's accurate, but I think 63 is way too low. Yeah. It has a Metacritic of 67. What do you think Fear Street Part 1, 1994 should have? I'm going to give it a 75. It's a solid movie. Yeah. I'll probably give it a little bit higher than that. I'll give it a 78. You know, like it's almost into 80 territory. 
I think this is a perfectly acceptable movie for almost anyone who's interested in a horror movie to watch. It's uh, fine. It's it's broad, I would fine. say. Yeah, uh-huh. That's why I'm giving it a 70. And a lot of fun. It's solid. It is good. It does everything it needs to. It's just it didn't do anything that really stuck out and felt unique and fresh and exciting. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. Uh, so yeah, I'll give it a I'll give it a seventy eight, a solid enough movie. With that in mind, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is a recommendation and a double feature. Boop, boop. And it is a movie that I am very scared to watch, guys. It is legitimately a movie that scared the hell out of me in high school, and I've it scared me so bad I've never seen the original. I've seen so much of the original from so many video essays and shit that I feel like I've seen it. Yeah. We're doing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre double feature. Yeah. But yeah, guys, this, feel lucky that I'm doing this for you. This is like Chucky. Not quite as bad as Chucky, but this movie messed with me. I saw this my junior year of high school. I was like 16 years old. And for like a week, I had trouble sleeping and being by myself. You saw the remake. The remake. Yeah. I've I've seen the original. I've never seen the remake. And the original's very good. We get to see, and this is our second, I think, I think, Toby Hooper movie. Because he did Poltergeist. Mm, I think it's their second. Both of these movies were recommended by Harry, Michael, and Nina. So thank you, all three of you guys, for recommending these. We are, in fact, now getting to them. Hooray! Hooray. Yeah. I think it's about time. It's very unpleasant, but I will do it for you guys. We've watched a lot of unpleasant things. I know. I Someday and we'll I'm do arachnophobia. Sure, <laughs> I am sure that I'm going to have a very different reaction. Much the same as when I watch, when Gremlins. I watched, well, Gremlins, but also. Child's Play. Hmm, Child's Play I still not comfortable with, but actually I was thinking of House on Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. You had a similar sort of. Well, so House on a Hill I saw three years prior to that when I was uh -huh. 13. That, actually, I was probably. Yeah, I think I was 13. That was a whole summer. That was two months of uh, sheer terror. Uh -huh. Couldn't sleep. <laughs> this was just a week. But I was 16 at this point. Uh-huh. So, guys, that is next week. Until then, you can find us at our website, podcemetery.com, Twitter at podcemetery, all the rest of the stuff. The biggest help you can give us is those written reviews. But better than that is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You know we don't believe this witch shit, right? It's just like fucked up Santa Claus or something.
like he's so Paul is dead, Sam is dead, and then we have the coroner and the nurse. Those are the four deaths that we have. Since Paul is dead. Oh, Paul is dead. <laughs> so what do you think this movie has rotten to- on? What'd you say your name was? Heather. Heather. Of course it is. It, it, it. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't recognize that song. I am an astro creep, demolition style. Oh, I know that creep, song. Yeah. More human than human, more human. I just didn't recognize the part they played. Yeah. But that, so, oh. no eating or you're going to fucking die. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it's also like implied that he didn't actually do it. Spoiler alert for the entire trilogy. By the third one, we find out that it was the sheriff. Right. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like. I think it's hinted at here. It is hinted at here. I wrote it down. He says, oh, right. You know, he says, you're right. These are my cans. Yeah, but he says it like sarcastically. Yeah, he says it sarcastically, but they are his. He leaves a note that says it's happening again. Now, this has all kinds of implications that we can't talk about yet. But I think I figured it out. Okay. I would like you to tell me. I would like you to tell me, and then we can put it at the end for anyone who's watched the whole trilogy, because I'm really curious and I don't want to forget by the time we get there. What is it? I think it's because he still loves her. He wants her to be protected. So maybe it's him just trying to warn Telling her, her I'm doing it again. You need to make sure you don't Keep get yourself safe. Yeah, uh-huh. That's my only conclusion. That's interesting. Still in love with her, wants her to survive. Hmm. Do you think that's why? I think that that's as good an explanation as we're going to get. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Right. 